This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly is brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Everyone, welcome to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse joining you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Great to have you with us on this Labor Day holiday weekend. As the Guardians are home for most of it, they take on the Seattle Mariners on Saturday night with a 7:15 first pitch, and then Sunday afternoon. Note the start time on Sunday: a 2:40 first pitch, and then they head out on the road to take on Kansas City and a huge series next weekend with the Minnesota Twins. Coming up later on on this week's show, we will hear from Rob Serfolio, the Guardians Director of Player Development. A weekly farm report will focus on single-A Lynchburg this week. Also a fun edition of At the Ballpark with Bobby D. Guardian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio will be joined by Steve Stone, the former Cy Young Award winner for the Baltimore Orioles and longtime Major League broadcaster, first with the Cubs, and now with the Chicago White Sox. But first, we check in with Stephen Kwan, one of the top rookies in all of baseball this year. What a season it has been for Kwan, really from the get-go when he got off to that great start in Kansas City in the season opening series, and he really has not slowed down since. Had a little hiccup in May where it was a challenge, but has picked things up again and is really putting together a tremendous season. And now, here in September, he's part of a team playing games that are meaningful games. The first-place Guardians heading into play on Saturday have uh, some big games coming up the rest of the way. And he says while that's the goal from the start every year, he does say there was a turning point when this club really began to believe that they'd be in the mix for a playoff spot down the stretch. I think during that time of the All-Star break, we were kind of looking around, taking inventory and seeing what we had. I think we realized that you know we can make a good run with it. We got the tools that we need. Um, yeah, it's getting really exciting coming up. Were there certain games or certain stretches of play that, that kind of crystallized those thoughts that, that it could happen? Uh, I don't know if there was a specific time, but I know Maley and uh, Hedges kind of brought it up to our attention. Like, there's some stretches we're going to have that we need to win, you know, a lot of these series um, kind of on some teams that aren't doing as well, like the Tigers and the Royals. Um, they just made it evident really early that um, we're going to be in a race kind of going into later and just to be focused every time. Don't let the guard down. Just keep rolling. You mentioned two players who are, are veteran players who've been around a little bit. How helpful has 
has their input been, to, especially to some of the younger players, to help you through some things during the course of this season? Yeah, no doubt. They've all been extremely instrumental to, I mean, I guess just for me, just kind of going along. Um, I know during that May stretch, um, kind of, again, a lot of thoughts swirling in. I know ghosts, uh, hedges, they kind of came up to me and talked to me, just everything's going to be all right, don't think about it too much. But and I'm sure they've had dialogues with other young players that I haven't heard of, but just those really small conversations have helped me a long way. And since then, consistency has been your strong suit. Uh, can you point to anything that's allowed you to, to really be consistent and stay away from the tough stretches? I think just not overthinking things. Um, just understanding that baseball is is baseball. You know, you're going to have some tough stretches. Pitchers are going to execute their pitches sometimes. Umpires are going to give you calls that uh, you're not going to like and just not not pondering on them too much. It's understanding, you know, things happen. If you can go in with a really strong plan, um, execute that plan, then you're going to be in a good spot. And since you've been in that leadoff spot, it seems like that's agreed with you very well. Uh, what is it about hitting there that, that maybe has spurred some really good stuff? I think maybe just I've been familiar with that. I let off in college. I let off a lot in the minors. It's kind of just a familiar home. Um, I could see some pitches there. Um, I think I get more fastballs in that leadoff spot as well. So just kind of really a lot of small factors. Just being familiar with where I'm at helps. Stephen Kwan is joining us as uh, the Guardians get ready to take on the Orioles. And uh, you may have some insight into the Orioles more than most because of your friendship with Adley Rutschman, who's having as good a rookie season as anyone, yourself included. Uh, any surprise to you what he's been able to do over there based on your past relationship? Yeah, no, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. Um, that guy has all the skill in the world. He's got a really good head on his shoulders. Um, he's going to gel well in that clubhouse. He'll gel well with anybody. Uh, it's not surprising what he's done. He's, he's, he's got a lot of success so far, and there's a lot more coming. Fans and, and us on the outside, we love to compare players and, and talk about rookie of the year, things like that. Uh, does that even come up in conversations with you guys about what's going on and what could be at the end of the season? No, I don't think so. I think uh, I've been doing a really good job of just keeping my head down, taking day by day. Those are obviously huge accolades, and I'm honored to even be a part of that discussion. But I think that just kind of adds a lot of noise, adds a lot of muck to something that's unnecessary. Just yeah, just trying to keep it one day at a time, keep my head down, try to win a game and keep it rolling. And closing things out, you made an unbelievable catch over the weekend in Seattle going into the stands to do it. First off, how you feeling? Any after effects? And what goes into the, the thought of, of making that leap at the end like you did? Yeah, no, things are they're going pretty well. I got really lucky that I didn't crack a rib or anything or any internal organ damage. Um, I got really, I'm really grateful for that. Um, yeah, I think it's just big spot of the game. They're getting some momentum, and I saw the ball go up. I've luckily had some plays that I've had against the wall in the railing along left field and haven't executed as many as I'd like. So that time was making sure I got my feet in a good spot, saw where I was in relation to the stands, and then just took a leap, and, and luckily I held on. Stephen, great to have you along. Thanks. You. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That is Stephen Kwan. He's been doing it all this season, both offensively and with the glove, not only in the Rookie of the Year conversation, but you would think he'd be in the Gold Glove conversation for some of his efforts in left field this season. He's a product of the Guardians farm system, and when we come back, we'll visit with Rob Serfolio, the Director of Player Development for the Guardians. That's next on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget, unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! 
sports. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. Jim Rosen now is back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Great to have you with us for Guardians Weekly this weekend as we join you just prior to the Guardians game against the Seattle Mariners. Wow, they've had a tough time with Seattle this season as after the loss on Friday night at home to the Mariners, Seattle has now taken four of the first five games in the season series with two to go, including tonight and tomorrow afternoon. Rob Serfolio is the Director of Player Development for the Guardians, and he'll travel around to the different farm teams to take a look at the young prospects there. And this week he was down in Lynchburg, Virginia, taking in some single-A baseball in the Carolina League with the low-A Lynchburg Ball Club. And uh, Rob says there's some positives from this year's Hillcats team as they get closer to finishing up the regular season portion of their schedule. That is correct. And, you know, credit to our Lynchburg staff and Omir Santos, our manager down there, has done a, a great job with a, a really young group of players. I know the, the fans are probably getting tired of hearing me say how young we are everywhere, but this is a, a super young group, a lot of which are in their first taste of a, a full season. And and Omir and, and the rest of that Lynchburg staff has actually locked in a playoff spot, which is really exciting. So they have a couple more games through the rest of this weekend, one more regular season series. And, and as you noted, Rosie, their, their season kind of wraps up after that, but we are locked in for the playoffs. So we'll have at least two games at the end of the regular season a couple weeks from now and, and hopefully a little bit more. Well, let's get right to the players that you won't see up here next week or next season uh, most likely but uh, somewhere down the road hopefully for for a lot of them and uh, there's a, a drafted kid from this year's draft Joe Lampy an outfielder out of Arizona State you were mentioning it, he's one of the few that has gone out to a full season club so far from this year's draft and and what made him a a good choice to do that yeah so you know Joe's a, a talented outfielder that we got in the third round out of out of Arizona State this year and and I think some of the skills that Joe brings is just, you know, contact, lots of line drives. He can play center field. He's versatile and can kind of go into the corner. So we thought just his profile and, and what he's able to do from a talent perspective would, would match up well with, with the challenge in Lynchburg and hopefully give those guys a, an added boost here down the stretch as, as they, as they head towards the playoff. And, um, you know, the rest of that draft class is, is playing as well on Arizona right now as part of, 
you know, our extended instruct season where we're actually scheduling a bunch of games versus other teams. And, and we were lucky enough to have an opportunity for, for Joe to get out and, and experience that first taste of, of affiliate baseball. And, and hopefully some of his teammates from this year's draft class get to join him soon. At the other end of the spectrum, age-wise, is middle infielder Angel Hanau. And uh, you mentioning earlier, normally he would be a senior in high school right about this time, and yet he's at, at a full-season <laughs> affiliate. And uh, it sounds like another middle infielder that's uh, part of a great group throughout the system. It is, and it's a it's a blessing to have just a, a long line of, of talented middle infielders. And again, I think a lot of credit goes to you know, Paul Gillespie and Richard Conway and our entire international scouting group for just continuing to get us talented players that, that want to show up to the field and work and, and get better. And, and Angel's a great example of that. So, you know, as you pointed out earlier, maybe a guy that's further away from impacting our major league team in terms of the short term, but another really talented switch hitting middle infielder that just has, has done a great job this year and um, you know, was in the was in the Dominican Summer League last year, came over and played in Arizona for us pretty much throughout the entire uh, regular season for for a rookie ball group. And then we thought it would be a great opportunity for him to to see the, the Lynchburg level, especially with those guys playing some meaningful baseball games. We felt that Angel, you know, really earned that opportunity with, with how he played and just his overall attitude and, and maturity for for such a young kid is pretty impressive. So he's getting a taste of of what the next couple of years will look like. And, and hopefully we've put him in a position to be properly challenged. Rob Serfolio is joining us. He's the director of player development for the guardians. And we're talking single a Lynchburg this week. And uh, Rob, it, there, there's been so much movement throughout the minor league system. And a lot of players have performed well and, and received promotions to higher levels, but there's also a good core group there that has stayed there all season long and, and is developing nicely and, wanted to talk about a player we've talked about earlier in the season. How has Jake Fox held up over the course of the long haul as a very versatile player? Yeah, so, I, you know, you mentioned versatility, and, and a lot of credit goes to Jake just on his willingness to to develop some, some outfield skills. So, again, a, a really good athlete that we got um, from last year's high school class in the draft. And, and he can play the middle infield, he can play third, and, and he's just such a great athlete. Uh, that we we thought we'd we'd try him out in center field and and to Jake's credit he had never played out there before and has really taken to a lot of his work out there and, and has developed really nicely and obviously in offense he he can do a lot of things for for a 19 year old kid that's really impressive great contact skills he's really worked with Craig Masoni our hitting coach there on on kind of improving some of his batted ball angles which has been a, a great in season developmental story for him as some of his extra base hit and, and power numbers have really come along. And, and again, you know, just a, another young kid that is part of that group there that has really helped that team clinch a playoff spot. And, and, and it's been exciting to, to allow him to play every day and kind of go through that grind for the first time, um, you know, being in his first full season of professional baseball. And, and he's been a mainstay at the top of their order and a huge part of of why they are able to, to clinch a playoff spot. So it's exciting for, for him to kind of get a little bit of a different taste now here at the end of the year where things are wrapping up and, you know, physically everyone's tired, but there's that extra juice of, of knowing there's a playoff opportunity coming down the line. And I, and I know Jake's really excited for that, just chatting with him the last couple of days. Rob Serfolio joining us, the 
Director of Player Development for the Guardians. We're talking Lynchburg, and we'll switch to the mound now. And uh, I know you look for for pitchers who miss bats, and uh, it sounds like you have a starting pitcher down there who's doing a great job at that. Will Dion from the 21 draft uh, certainly has put up numbers that, that really look good. And uh, what have you seen from him? He has, and and I think at, at one point, even within the last 10 days or so, Will, you know, as you noted there, Rosie was, I think, in the top 10 in all of minor league baseball and just strikeout totals. Um, so obviously missing bats wasn't an issue for him in, in low A. And we actually just recently gave him a, an opportunity to jump up to Lake County for, for an additional challenge with, with the captains kind of in a playoff push here as well. And, and Will just does a great job. I mean, you look back to him as a, as a collegiate pitcher and, and really attack the zone and can throw four pitches for strikes. And, and we've seen him to continue to refine some of his secondary stuff. And, you know, we've got some, we've got some velocity goals with him coming up here in the off season. But again, for a guy to go out there in his first full season and, and really be durable and log as many innings as he has, I think is a credit to just his routine and, and willingness to kind of adapt to that, to that, you know, professional environment. And um, he's had a lot of success doing so. And it looks like Trenton Denholm is another who has taken the ball every fifth day, so to speak, or or close to that in a, in a minor league rotation. Yes, he has. And, you know, I think Trenton has has even like, you know, maybe overperformed some of uh, some of just his surface level numbers, which is, again, a lot of the things that, that we track on the development side go beyond some of those baseball card numbers. And and Trent has done a great job. Again, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about are controlling your controllables and, and attacking the zone, throwing strikes, missing bats and, and limiting weak or hard contact. And and Denholm's, as you said, been, been durable in doing that. And again, you know, it's it's a luxury to have so many guys that are promotion worthy on the same roster. And, and sometimes you only have so many opportunities, but it's been great for, for Trent to go out there every five or six days and, and kind of give the Hillcats an opportunity to win. And I know he'll be a part of that starting rotation in the playoffs for them, which will be really exciting. And, you know, just, I think a great first taste for, for that entire group, just being as young as they are to, to learn how to win as, as a group. And I think that's something that top to bottom Tito talks about, and we try and embody in the minor leagues. And it's always great when you have guys that are contributing to, to winning baseball while still, you know, developing in on their own personal and individual goals. So it's a, it's an exciting couple of weeks here coming down the stretch. And we'll finish up with Reed Johnston, one more pitcher on that Lynchburg staff. Uh, how's he fared to, to really put his name on the radar? Yeah, you know, another good story here of a guy that early in the year was kind of pitching in longer relief outings and, and really just flat out earned an opportunity to jump into that rotation. And, and you know, we've had a couple guys get promoted out to – two higher levels and, and Reed was able to jump right in and, and not just fill the void, but even, you know, uh, you know, kind of put his name on the map with a lot of the, the strikeout numbers and uh, things he's been able to do. And so again, another guy similar to Ben Holm and uh, the rest of the group that's still out there that I you know fully expect will be part of that starting rotation here in the, in the playoff push. And, and I think just credit to Reed for, for taking advantage of the opportunity that he had to jump to the starting rotation is kind of put his, his name on the map as a result. Rob, a lot of good stuff going on for sure, and uh, I know you've been busy and, and traveling and things like that, but we appreciate the update. Thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. That's Rob Serfolio, the Director of Player Development for the Guardians, talking single-A Lynchburg. Stay with us. When we come back, it is Guardian Senior Vice President Bobby D. with a special guest. That's next on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. 
Don't go away, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And we check in now with Guardian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio, a special at the ballpark with Bobby D. The perfectly manicured field, the unmistakable aroma of a ballpark hot dog, and the electricity celebrating another victory. This is At the Ballpark with Bobby D. The ballpark is home to many stories, many memorable moments, and colorful personalities. Joining me on this segment of At the Ballpark is one of the most talented pitchers to come off the Cleveland Sandlots. One of our very own, a Brush High School and Kent State star, Mr. Steve Stone. Steve, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. It's always special for me to come back to Cleveland. I get to see uh, some of my family that is still here. It's kind of nice. I get to go to a couple delis that I frequented when I was a youngster. And just going back in the old neighborhood, uh, taking a trip down memory lane is always something that I enjoy. We need to start with your time growing up in South Euclid. Played for Coach Jim Humple at Brush High School at a time when the Lake Erie League was the premier athletic conference in all of northern Ohio. Uh, Freddie Heinlein at Shaker Heights. Uh, my older brother was... Uh, Danny was a sophomore when you were a senior at Brush. I don't know if you pitched against Lakewood uh, your senior year, but my brother probably was there watching you perform back in those days as you were a 65 grad at Brush High School. What do you remember about those days in the LEL? I remember that was some really good baseball. Euclid was always a good team. In fact, we had a guy at uh, Kent State by the name of Tom L. Jancic who pitched for Euclid. He was very good. There was a guy at Lakewood. I think he eventually got to St. Ed's. Gary Zanheiser was his name, another guy who threw really well. We had a lot of talent here. Buddy Schultz threw uh, at Shaw, and he went on to pitch in the major leagues. So we had some guys that threw it very well. We had some guys who could hit it very well. Shaker won the state championship in 1965, and uh, we came close, but uh, there was no cigar, as they say. I just remember good, solid baseball. I also remember that because of the time it was played, and it was played in the early spring, uh, I think we had 24 games scheduled. I think 18 of those games were played with the temperatures right around 40 or under. <laughs> it was usually wet. You had to be a mutter to be able to, to run through the muck and the mire to actually get it done. But that was what it was like in Cleveland those days, and it really helped me actually to prepare myself for the times when I was in Candlestick Park, my first team that being the San Francisco Giants. I remember those cold days at Candlestick Park, and I remember back to what it was like in Cleveland those cold days. You were more than a pitcher. One of the things I found interesting uh, reading up on you, things that I was unaware of, that uh, you were more than just a pitcher. 
uh, a ping pong champion. You uh, were an excellent golfer. You played volleyball, tennis, and you actually bowled for Kent State, right? You bowled for Kent State. Uh, and one thing going down that path, all of those had to help your athleticism, one, and two, your competitive spirit. Well, I think hand-eye coordination is important. If you're going to be a professional athlete, you have to have off-the-charts hand-eye coordination, even if you're a pitcher. I mean, eventually, you have to be able to field. I think that's one of the things we're missing in the game today. Pitchers just don't field near as well as they used to field for whatever reason. But I think all of those sports and participating in all of those sports, number one, kept me out of a lot of trouble. And number two, it showed me that although in many instances, for instance, I was a tennis champion in singles and doubles. I was a much better tennis player than a baseball player. But the thing was that I really liked tennis, but I loved baseball. And my father told me at the age of 13, he said, look, you can't really play both if you want to choose one as possibly something that you'll specialize in later. If you want to be a jack-of-all-trades, then play tennis and pitch. But if you're going to do one seriously, you need to choose one or the other. And he didn't tell me you have to choose this or that. But he said, it's going to be too much strain on your arm. And you might remember a pitcher who was a year or two actually older than I was, and his name was Jerry Getz. And he pitched at Shaker. And he was a wonderfully talented left-hand pitcher who was also a tennis player. And he went to Notre Dame on a full scholarship combined between tennis and baseball. And in his freshman year, his arm blew out, and he could never pitch again. But I think he lived it through his son, Jeff Getz, who was a number one draft choice years later of the New York Mets. But Jerry never get a chance to realize his dream because he didn't have a father who said, you know what, Jerry, you can't do both. you got to pick either a pitcher, and he was a special left-hander or a tennis player, and, and uh, it cost him his arm. We're talking with Steve Stone, Brush High School, class of 1965, and Kent State star and current broadcaster for the Chicago White Sox. Your experience at Kent State, you had Thurman Munson, the New York Yankee great, as your catcher. Is that when it became a reality that you could maybe make a living out of uh, pitching the baseball? And when you look back on those years, who are some of the people who you were your biggest influencers, the ones who really gave you the confidence that maybe you could create a profession out of this game of baseball? Well, the first thing was throwing to Thurman Munson, having him as my roommate on the road. It was of great benefit, and the reason is he was so good that scouts from all over baseball came to watch him. I mean, he was drafted number one by the Yankees and went on to become their captain, and he was a terrific catcher. So Because they came to watch Thurman, they saw this short (laughs) right-handed pitcher who was frequently throwing to him, and that was me. So I got a chance maybe to play pro ball because guys happened to see me accidentally while they went to scout Thurman. That was one thing. As far as my greatest influencer, my greatest influencer was my father, and to a certain extent my mother. And I say that for a couple of different reasons. Number one, they were very supportive of me. My father used to tell me, you're going to be the best pitcher to ever come out of South Euclid Lyndhurst. And I used to say, but Dad, Roy Shapiro is bigger and stronger, and Dave Singerman throws the ball through the wall, and Bill Byrne is a terrific pitcher. I mean, and he goes, no. He said, you're going to be the best pitcher. Now, he turned out to be right. But I I don't believe he actually thought that I would be, except that he realized that a young player, a young gentleman in this case, needed to be encouraged. And so he was encouraging me all the time. And my mother was the same way. My mother was the athlete in the family. It wasn't my father. My father liked baseball. 
My mother loved baseball. My mother was the first pick when they choose up sides to play uh, ball in the street. My mother was always the first pick. I learned how to play tennis with her racket. I learned how to play golf with, uh, with Patty Berg golf clubs, her golf clubs. So her athleticism, and then my father's steady hand, he was a very calm, patient man. They were the people that had the most influence. And the fact was that they took a lot of time to take me to the practices, to take me to the games. We didn't have travel leagues, per se, in those right. times, but they took me to all the places that I had to go to. Without that, I don't believe that I would have ever made it. So I encourage, and I talk to a lot of groups, and I encourage the parents to not only encourage their children, but to make time for them. Steve, we have to talk about your remarkable season with the Baltimore Orioles in 1980. 25 wins to 7 losses. The 25 wins topping all of the major leagues. You are an all-star, an eventual Cy Young Award winner. What do you remember most about that season? Well, as I look back, Bobby, it it seems like it happened to somebody else. (laughs) But what I remember most is... uh, that I made a transition that without that, I wouldn't have been able to accomplish that. It was the middle of 1979. I was under 500. I was with a very good team finally in Baltimore. We were on our way to winning 102 games and playing in the World Series. And I sat back over the All-Star break and decided that there was a better pitcher in here, I suspected. I just didn't know how to get him out. And so I felt that I wasn't going to going to get any bigger, any stronger, or any faster. What I had to do was find a way to be better prepared on a daily basis than my opponent. And I knew I was going to face guys who were going to go to the Hall of Fame. And I adopted a, a philosophy that you're going to go to the Hall of Fame, but not tonight. Tonight is my night. And then I, through a series of things like imagery, creative visualization, self-hypnosis, and a number of other things, I devised a way to get the most out of me on a daily basis because there's times when you just don't feel good. Sandy Koufax, one of the greatest pitchers in the history of our game, said he had his best stuff 25% of the time, which meant 75% of the time he had to win with less than his best. He was one of the greats. So for just average guys like myself, maybe we had our best stuff 15% of the time, maybe 10%. So we had to learn how to win with less than our best. For me, it was getting myself better prepared for a performance than my opponent. I didn't have any control over the size, the strength, or the ability factor of the guy that I was facing. But I did know one thing. I could not allow him to outwork me. I could not allow him to outprepare me. I could not allow him to want it more than I did and be willing to sacrifice everything for that particular event. And so knowing each and every night that I was going to go in better prepared than the guy I was facing, allowed me to make 50 5-0 starts from the middle of 1979 to the end of 1980. And I lost seven times in 50 starts. Now, my arm kind of gave way after that, but I had a moment. I had an 18-month window. I had a season and a half of enchanted baseball. And the thing that I never lost sight of, Bobby, was I wasn't great. I was just borrowing greatness. In a short period of time, they were going to come and take it back. Well, 37 starts in that 1980 season, over 250 innings pitched. But when you talk about visualization and 
not many guys, I'm sure, were talking about those kind of things, the, the hypnosis and the visualization. That had to be pretty revolutionary at that time. Well, I went into Roland Heeman starting 1977. Now, bear in mind, I didn't really implement this till 79, but in 1977, I went into Roland Heeman, GM of the White Sox, and I said, Roland, why does every team have five coaches for the physical aspect of the game? Trainers, strength coaches, etc. Why do they have five? And everybody will tell you that the actual physical aspect of performance is 25%. Why do you have five coaches for 25% of the game and no coaches for 75% of the game, which is the mental approach? And he said, well, he said, I never thought of it that way. I said, well, why don't you do? Because if you do, then you're going to get guys, mental coaches coming in and helping these guys perform. You're going to be ahead of everybody because nobody's doing this, and I'm giving you a chance to get a running start on this whole league, which eventually, because it's a copycat league, eventually they're going to get it. So, at any rate, he turned it down like everybody else did. And so why did it take that long? I don't know, but I, I was thinking about that. Yeah. That pitching staff that you were on in 1980 with the Orioles, Scotty McGregor wins 20. Again, you win 25. He wins 20. Jim Palmer, Mike Flanagan both win 16. You win 102 or 100 games that year. The Yankees end up winning 103 to to sneak into the American League Championship Series. Uh, talk about what it's like, like the four of you down in the bullpen working. Is there, was that, that had to be something pretty special. Well, don't forget Dennis Martinez, who went on to win 245 games. Dennis Martinez was one of those guys, he would throw 250 innings a year, he would go 15 and 17. He would go 16 and 15 because he had a great arm but didn't know how to use it quite yet. Mm. But that five-man rotation had five Cy Young Awards. Palmer had three. Flanagan won in 79. I won in 80. We would go north many times. Earl Weaver would go north with nine pitchers. Nine, nine. pitchers. Five starters, four relievers. And the reason they could do that was we got, got everybody out. <laughs> that's why you could nine do that. Star- nine pitchers in your staff. That, yeah. That's just and occasionally, it's hard to put your arms around, obviously, today's game where they're limiting it to 13. Right. Occasionally, they would feel <laughs> extravagant and go with 10. But the Orioles were a different kind of team for the reason is you'd look at their players individually, and they weren't as good as Boston. Boston had Butch Hobson hitting ninth at 30 home runs. They had Carlton Fisk, a Hall of Famer, behind the plate. They had Carl Yastrzemski, a Hall of Famer, at first base. Crown. They had Burleson. They had, they had Remy. At, at short and second. They had a Hall of Famer, Jim Rice, in left. They had Freddie Lynn, a wonderful center fielder. They had Dewey Evans in right field. We weren't even close to that. However, put head-to-head, the whole of the Orioles was better than the sum of its parts. And that's the way you win. You win with a team effort, everybody pulling in the same direction. But you have to understand, and this was a philosophy in Baltimore. It was espoused to me by two different guys when I got there in the first month, and they said, we don't score early and we don't score often, but hold us close and you win more games than you ever dreamt. And the, th- and the reason was, said, if you hold us close, that other team is going to make a mistake before we do, and when they make that mistake, we're going to bury them with it. And that was a team of guys that knew on a day-to-day basis they were going to beat that other team. They thought about it from the first inning to the ninth inning. They waited for that mistake, and when they got their mistake, it was lights out for the other team. Earl Weaver, the best skipper you uh, had the privilege to play for? He was the most interesting. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, he was, uh, <laughs> he was one of those guys that, uh, that 
I think he understood how to win in baseball. I think he understood percentages before there was analytics. He refute. He would rather give you a child than give you an out. He didn't want to bunt. <laughs> he wanted to. He wanted to hit a three-run homer. He thought, you know, he didn't want to steal very much. He just giving an out was just to him it was ridiculous. He always had three by five cards matchups. I mean, he was one of the first managers wow. that ever did that. He had them in his back pocket. He'd take them out, and so you know it was good and it was bad. I remember Jim Palmer saying to him when he came out to talk to him, he goes, the only thing you know about pitching is you couldn't hit it, so get back in the dugout. So was Earl the best? Earl was the most successful as a Hall of Fame manager. Um, Earl understood that each guy had a different key. They weren't one-size-fits-all. So one guy he would boot in the butt. The other guy he would put his arm around. He loved Lee May. He would never say a crossword to Lee May. He screamed at me something... <laughs> You couldn't believe it because I got there. I was their first free agent. Uh, they had never dipped in the free agent market before. And so he never let me finish a game, which drove me kind of crazy. He kept taking me out. One day he took me out. I didn't wait for him to get to the mound. I come walking off the mound. I flip him the baseball, hits him in the chest, and then I go walking into the dugout. Anyway, the next day we had this knockdown, knockdown, drag out fight. But... Um, you know, he he did whatever he could to get the best out of the individual player, and more times than not, he was right. This was real fun. Wish we had more time, Steve. Thank you so much. Bobby, always a pleasure, <laughs> and I'm glad uh, I'm glad you're getting into my business. It's nice it's nice to see a longtime front office guy getting into the the radio biz. Enjoy doing it. I'll tell you that connecting with all the people that come through the ballpark. Here's hoping you enjoyed today's visit with Steve Stone. We look forward to sharing at the ballpark stories on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. That's at the ballpark with Bobby D. And stay tuned. We'll have some final thoughts after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Sports are easy to disagree on. Let's see what happens when sports talk hosts talk about something they agree on. Hold on. I'm saying drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. Well, I disagree. I think drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. <laughs> Come on. Wait, I think we're saying the same thing. Oh, so uh, what do we do now? Everyone agrees that drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2020 and May 2021. Potential savings will vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhaus back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. A lot of different ways you can hear our show each week. You can go to cleguardians.com, the Guardians website, and all the archived editions are there as well. Or you can wait a little bit. It's turned into a podcast, and you can download it in podcast form wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And for the Guardians, they wrap up this homestand tomorrow afternoon at 2.40. 
against the Seattle Mariners. And then it's out on the road, starting a new road swing on Labor Day Monday in Kansas City. Three with the Royals, then an off day Thursday, and a huge series next weekend against the Twins in Minneapolis. Three games against Minnesota, and that will start a stretch of eight games in 11 days against the Twins. So a lot of baseball against Minnesota as those two teams continue to buy for the top spot in the American League's Central Division. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks, as always, to Brian Matze for all of his help. Until next week, when we join you from Minneapolis, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance.